All right, let's say the declaration together. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. I am invited, loved, chosen, and called. Because God has my full attention and cheerful yes, I am good soil for the good news. I will be faithful with my identity, song, gift, and testimony. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Amen. Now, please remain standing. We're going to read the word together. It's coming from James chapter 2. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Don't you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Amen, and you may be seated. I think in everyone's life, they have things that are just really important to them, things they get passionate about, things that really stir them up. And I think in my life, there's a couple of messages God's put on my heart that have really affected me and changed the way I see the world. And certainly, a message about faith is one of them because faith is the bedrock of everything else we believe and do. And I think what tends to happen is it becomes one of those words we hear a lot, faith, faith, faith. But when we don't have things to connect it to, sometimes it becomes an idea and it's no longer something that's a conviction, something that people laid down their lives for, things that people built the church on. And so maybe you're here and you say, I want to have strong faith this morning, but I want to know what, what, what is the nature of true faith? How do we put it together? How can I think about it? And what I found is there's some things in James where God really challenges us about how we can put together strong faith in our lives. And I think what's really important is figuring out what good is it? Can you guys say that with me? What good is it? That's exactly what I say about trigonometry. And there's a, there's a math teacher in here rolling their eyes. I know it has to be. But for me, this is a sidetrack, but it's a great story. I promise. Tears at the end. So um, I was in about fourth grade, and... I w walked in and we took one of those tests where they kind of figure out where you are on your learning scale or, or something. I don't know, I wasn't paying attention during this part of class. And um, we take this test, I did really well on the test, so they give me another test. And because of that test, I tested out of fifth and sixth grade math. Um, which is the beginning of a very terrible story because I walked into, I walked into math the, the following week whenever they, they shuffled our classes. And they said, we're gonna begin this equation with the square root of, and so I raise my hand and I say, what's square root? Because I had never really learned it. And so what happened was, I maybe figured out some of the pieces, but I didn't build my knowledge on a firm foundation. There was no application to go with it. So whenever I was tested on what I knew, it fell out right from under me. I didn't know what I needed to know so that I can continue to progress. I stopped short there. And so although I passed the test, what good was it? It didn't provide something for me that was a building block that I could continue on, but it was a weak foundation. And I asked the question every kid asks when they struggle with math. When am I ever going to use this? And maybe that question's worth writing down because I think this, just like math homework when it comes to faith, what good is it unless you can use it? If your faith is not 
good for something, if it's not good for salvation, if it's not effective in the world that God's called us to, if it's not powerful in the communities we work and live in, what good is it? There's a certain sense to where we've started to believe maybe a lie that if I have the right ideas about faith, I never have to put them into practice. But a time is going to come in our lives where we face a storm and all of a sudden the ideas don't provide comfort if there's no application for us to stand on. And so it's important to me today that we figure out what good is it? What good is my faith? Saying you believe in Jesus is one thing, a powerful thing, but living like you believe in Jesus is something entirely different. Saying he rose, yes, he did. But what good is it if you're not connecting his rising to your action? I was reading about science and how we connect things in our minds and how they're effective for us. There's a book called Make It Stick that someone I know absolutely loves. And in that book we read that most people forget 50% of information within an hour of learning it. That just means that most of you guys aren't going to remember what I say up here, but... Science tells us that applying what we learn drastically increases our chance of retention. So it's not just hearing the, the things that matter, it's putting them into practice after we hear it. Just like knowledge without use starts to die, faith without works starts to die. It just becomes an idea, maybe a figment of our imagination or a story. The church was never supposed to be a place that was a showcase to display one person's faith or creative gifts. It was a place where God would use anointed people to train other people in their gifts and release them into the world to meet needs that God has presented us with urgently, presently, and actively. God has something for each one of us. The question that the world is asking is, yes, you guys have faith, but what good is it? Will it be effective for the needs that face our community? Will it be effective to transform the lives of people? Will the risen Jesus' hope be enough for us to transform lives and lay down addictions and habits? The question I have for us today is, what good is it? I believe as we walk with Jesus has called us to, as we submit our will to what he's called us to, as he helps us mature, and as we walk in that, transformation is going to happen in our lives because we figured out what good is it and we were willing to stake our very lives on it. He's calling us to stake our resources on it. Sometimes he's calling us to give everything we have to see the gospel advance in the world. I believe in James chapter 2. James is reacting against this idea we have that, yes, faith totally, it's faith that we are saved by. But it's the works that are evidence that we really believe what we believe. It's the proof that our faith has really gone deep and transformed the way we live. It's more than an idea. It's a conviction we have that we're willing to stake our lives on. We are saved by faith alone, but genuine faith in Scripture is a reality that people stake their very lives on. We read letters from people who, who gave everything to see the gospel advance. Faith is not just an idea. Faith starts with us, and then action proves the faith is there and that it's genuine in the first place. Something I've noticed as I've been walking with people, with teenagers, I've noticed that there are these cycles, these sin cycles they can become stuck in, where maybe they took two steps forward and three steps back. They found themselves in a space where they're growing in their faith, but all of a sudden there's a setback, and maybe after a while there's a little bit of a fall off. And I realized that sometimes one of the major factors is the simple black and white things that God's calling us to that we've neglected. Sometimes it's the faithfulness that's built in the everyday that's neglecting, and as soon as the passion wears off, so does the obedience. Sometimes God wants to stack the obedience of simple things that produce a faith that can weather storms. But when we neglect the simple things that God tells us to do in Scripture, 
Sometimes there's a little bit of a fall off. And maybe it's that. Maybe it's that we're not doing the small things. Maybe it's because we're not reading the scriptures at all. Maybe we think if I get a really great message once a week, that's going to sustain my faith. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's because I don't understand what I'm reading. I believe this. Sometimes what we need isn't more information. It's not a deeper understanding. We don't need just more messages. We need theological integrity. We need to admit the discrepancy between what we say we believe and how we live. We need to close that gap. If I say Jesus is risen, great. When do I start to live like it? If I say he provides every need, when am I going to start living like it? If I say that God wants to change the world through us, when do I start living as if that were true? When I say I want to see my neighbors redeemed, when do I start living as if that were true? When I say the world needs Jesus, when do I start to live as if that were true? We need to admit this discrepancy, repent of it, and begin to walk on faith on purpose. Sometimes I think what gets us stuck is that we have heads and phones full of sermons, full of content, full of TikTok clips, full of YouTube that's teaching, teaching, and our heads get full, but our bodies aren't willing to apply what they learn. And we can, we can get into this state of sort of spiritual apathy where I know more about the scriptures than I'll ever apply. What happens if we just started doing what we already know right now? What needs are going to get met that are within an arm's reach? What needs are being walked right to us? And God is saying, hey, would you search your heart for what I'm calling you to and just be faithful to be obedient? See, it's on the character of God and his faithfulness that we know we can claim the promises of God. But there are people waiting on our obedience. There are people waiting on our faith that God has called us to reach and called us to be effective in their lives. And they're asking the question that James is asking here, what good is our faith if the works don't match? Can I give you three thoughts today about the relationship between faith and works? My first thought for you today is this, true faith always involves a submission of the will. It always involves a submission of the will. Recognizing Jesus is true and is real is a powerful moment, one that transformed our lives. Some of us remember the date like it was yesterday. It was vivid for us. Some of us, it's come through study. We studied all the evidence and all the facts, and we realized that Jesus was true. Some of us, through prayer and seeking, we found ourselves here. Maybe a friend invited you. And you're seeking answers to the truth, and you're like, Jesus, Jesus was a real person, and he actually rose, and that's fantastic. But faith that's useful for salvation requires not just an intellectual grasp and agreement, but a willful submission to what God has called us to. Jesus led the way in the most beautiful act of willful submission we'd ever seen. The Father called him to the greatest sacrifice, and he submitted his will. And our faith is built on that, but it requires us to submit as well. God has called us to do something, and we have to submit to the will of God. Otherwise, we might know God as a powerful reality, but not a loving father. And that's what really moves me. We're in a culture dominated by, by a vague religiousness, by a lack of submission to God's will, but a recognition of God's existence. This is what's powerful. I was, I was looking at something the other day, and this, this sentence just moved me. Who cares about knowing God the way the devil knows God? He's not confused about whether or not God exists. He doesn't need an essay on how God could exist. He's aware of God's existence, but he has refused to submit his will. Matthew chapter 8 says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before it's time? 
You think the demons are under the illusion that Jesus is not real or he doesn't exist or that he's not powerful. At their command, the demons had to go. The demons are aware of Jesus' existence, but they actively oppose God's will. I think it's a trick of the modern age, thinking that purely intellectual faith is powerful for salvation. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. And this is what my great passion is. So many of us don't know Jesus is all satisfying. We don't know Jesus is beautiful. We don't know his law is transformative. We don't know the laws of God as something that blesses our life and not a burden that we have to begrudgingly follow. And the problem comes that all the blessing of God is wrapped up in our obedience to the scriptures. God is laying out a life for us that's blessable. And sometimes we think about God as an intellectual reality that's keeping us from something rather than a loving God that wants more for us than we want for ourselves. There's a huge difference. The demons recognize the power of God and they're angry about it. We can recognize the power of God and rest in it. We have that same choice. After realizing Jesus is true, he is real, well, we serve him as king. Matthew chapter 7 gives us a sober warning and it's stirring. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Sometimes even the works we do deceive us into believing that's evidence of pure, true faith. But it's not the works that save us. And it's not just the ideas. It's when my works and my faith agree that Jesus is Lord and then I live like it. Titus 1.16 says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. I don't want to be someone who denies God by my works while claiming it just as an intellectual idea. I want to be somebody who says, I believe God is true, and I want to live my life of active faith like I believe it. I believe this. It's a sad thing that there's a new false faith becoming increasingly popular. It's characterized by cross necklaces and continual sin without repentance and without remorse. It says Jesus and it accepts Jesus in speeches, but it denies him in the reality of daily obedience. It tries to capitalize off the fame of Jesus by neglecting the responsibility of being disciple. It's like when you pray and there's a picture of you taped over Jesus and really self is the only person that benefits from your faith. It's when the blessings are only for you, the music is only for you, the church is only for you, your preference gets your praise, and when the church doesn't serve you, you don't serve Jesus. When Jesus becomes a good luck charm but has no power from the Holy Spirit for a holy life. It's when our will isn't submitted and that we claim that as faith. But man, when our will is submitted, God can work through us. That's when broken situations get fixed. That's when people get healed. When they submit their will to the altar and their lives is transformed and addictions are broken, that's when transformation takes place and we can have testimonies of how great our God is because our faith and our obedience start to match. I believe when our will is submitted to God, so many beautiful things happen. That's the beginning. That's the sparks of faith. That's when obedience starts. When I know that God has power from the Holy Spirit to help me be obedient, I give him my faith and submit my will, then I can take that step out on faith. Here's the second point for taking notes. It's true faith in use helps us mature. 
Obedience isn't for the sake of checking a box, it's to help us build maturity. God has an active interest in building us into the image of his son, and it's the obedience that helps restore us. It's not just a command from scripture, obedience is a tool for my discipleship. I love how that Lord, Lord passage is flipped in Luke chapter 6. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what they're like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built their house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The thing is, we can come here every week, week in and week out. Our words can build us a house that looks the same as all the other houses do. But the question comes, the obedience I have with the daily things, the small things, when a calamity comes in my life and my faith is tested, will it still stand? If my trust and dependence is built on God alone, and that faith produces obedience in me, when the difficult times come, I have a faith to stand on. It's not just an idea because those don't keep me when times get difficult. I think about, there's been a couple dinners, I've been seated next to, uh, to, to Bernie, and he was just sharing some stories from his life about times God's tested him. And how he chose to put his faith and his obedience on God. And what really blessed me is hearing the stories of people who have walked this road of faith before, and they've showed us that obedience to God's word has built them a foundation that they can continue to walk in today. That becomes their conviction that their faith is true. And I think this, if we want to have those stories to pass on to the younger generation, if we want to be able to bless young people's faith, it relies on us to walk in obedience so that we can say, hey, I know that this challenge is everything you believe, but let me tell you how God was faithful anyway. I know this challenges what the world is telling you a happy life looks like, but let me tell you about how God has been faithful in my life. I know the world says this about dating, but let me tell you why obedience to what God says about what marriage is is important for your life. Things that the world is teaching them as a prison is really a guardrail to keep their lives blessable. And so if we know that obedience is meant for our discipleship to make us mature, a question we have to ask ourselves is this, where is my faith not evident in my deeds? Where do they conflict? Where is my faith not evident with how I live my life? And this applies to anything we do. Do I handle my money like I follow Jesus? Do I raise my kids like I follow Jesus? Teens, do I give friendship and dignity to other people like I follow Jesus? Do I include and encourage other people like I follow Jesus? Do I hold a standard of holiness in my life and in my home like I follow Jesus? Do I love people who don't have the same political convictions as me like I follow Jesus? Because if my deeds aren't evident in my life, how can I say my life is built on Jesus? Luke tells us when hard times come, building our faith on Jesus is what keeps us from disaster. And I believe that. Nothing increases your faith like obedience. When I've seen God be faithful in situation after situation, in time after time, I can have the conviction that my life is built on Jesus' righteousness. That every time I took a step of faith, he was there to defend me. Every time I stepped out and believed what God wrote in his word, he moved and there was power, there was transformation for me. When I think about these words, how trust and dependence on God forges this obedience 
It proves my faith to me in my life. It's actually an encouragement to me. When you doubts creep in, when things get difficult, but I've been obedient to God and I've seen his faithfulness, I have something to write back again. These are the things that I might write down in my prayer journal, and when those times come, they help prove my faith to me. And sometimes when I'm praying, I'm asking God, God, remind me of where you were before. Remind me of the times I've walked out on faith and you stood next to me. And he's able to show me, here, here's where the word is. Here's where you listened to me. Here's where I said this, you did it, and here's where I was faithful. I'm not telling you that every time it'll be exactly the outcome you want, but I'm telling you that God has called you to an outcome. And the most beautiful thing is when we step into eternity and he showed us why he called us to do the things we did. third thought I have for you is this. True faith reveals who's in charge. I believe when conflict begins to happen between what you want and what the Bible says, we get to see who has the final say. That's where we realize who's really in charge in our lives, who my faith is really in. Our life of faith is more than just a trans- transaction of the heart with God where I just say some words and all of a sudden I don't have to do anything else. It's one where when I have a conviction of who God is, my life becomes evidence of that conviction. I love a section of scripture from Psalm chapter 19. It might be something to, to put on a wall or a mirror or something that really just encourages your faith. It says this, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey them. I think when you meditate on passages of scripture like this, something begins to happen in you where you stop thinking of the law of the Lord and the things he's calling you obey as a burden and start seeing them as a joy. Start seeing them as wisdom that God is giving you and how he's looking out for you and setting your way and encouraging your life. I believe there's a refreshment that comes from God when we're faithful to be obedient to things, when we step out on faith that God has called us to. I believe sometimes those scriptures help encourage us and really build our faith. Sometimes it's stopping our actions from matching our faith, is that we're not agreed on who's in charge. It's like when you go somewhere, you know where you're going, but the GPS is still on. It says to make a left, but you know to go straight, and you're asking it to recalculate to you instead of you recalculating to it because you're in the driver's seat. Maybe that's how you've been with following the commands of God. You want to be obedient, but whenever there's a command with God that is in conflict to what you believe, You want it to adjust to you and maybe haven't changed it so that you adjust to it. If you felt like that today and you've been making decisions in your life that are more about what you want and not about what God wants, I'm going to tell you, Jesus loves you. Commands from the Lord bless your life. Obedience to God is powerful for your faith. If you want God to speak to you, open the scriptures, read what he says, be obedient to them. Wait, be available to God and let him speak to you in ways that transform your heart. I want to invite you to pray with me that you'd experience a refreshing from the Holy Spirit. He makes decisions, that you make decisions that are in line with his will. That you say, God, whatever you want me to do, I want to be totally obedient to you. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you for giving us your scriptures. Lord, you've given us a way to, to know your will, to hear from you what you want for our life. God, give us your spirit and help us to be obedient, to take steps beyond where we currently have faith. God, would you just begin to grow our obedience to you, God, that our faith isn't an idea, but it's something that we can put into practice. God, I thank you for the person that's been waiting to take that first step in obedience, and maybe there's been some fear, God, that they're in a room full of people who can encourage them in their faith. God, I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to encourage us to live a holy life as well. Lord, my prayer is that we take a step together in faith, one more step past where we've gone before, one deeper step of obedience, one deeper step into purpose and calling that you've called us to. God, continue to encourage us. Continue to surround us in your love. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.